Hey, this is Blake Flatley with 1517 Music interrupting this podcast to share with you that we are currently booking dates for the Hymn Sing Happy Hour Tour. The Hymn Sing Happy Hour is a chance for people to sing songs they love with people they love. During these events, we sing through the liturgical calendar with selections of classic hymns and new music telling the story of Jesus and His Church. Last summer, we took the tour from California to New York and many places in between. This summer, I'd love to share these songs with your community. If you'd like more information, or if you're ready to book, visit 1517.org slash hymnsing. Dates are limited, so reach out to us soon so we can get your city on the schedule. Again, that's 1517.org slash hymnsing. Thanks. Bird Fly a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. This is Wade here in the podcast studio, joined by my dear friend and colleague, the Reverend, the Doctor, Michael Berg, um, and by Jason. That's right. Yes. And we are very happy to be recording again twice this week because next week will be our spring break. Um, we had an episode drop yesterday. Um, with Dr. Mark Brown, who joined us to talk some Genesis. encourage you to go check that out, and we will be continuing in our Genesis, our anthropology series. Now we've, we've covered the first murder, and we've talked about how terrible Cain's kids were. And now we're going to get to Genesis 5 just a little bit. We're not going to get lost in the genealogies and make our way to chapter 6. But uh, as we continue to try to make use of our new equipment, we are also privileged to have a guest who is not in studio, although we certainly wish he were. Um, that would be delightful, would it not, Michael? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so uh, he is joining us over Zoom, which hopefully will continue to work all right for us. And this would be coming to us live from Mormon country, uh, the land of, what is Utah the land of, Michael, do you know? Uh, bees. Bees, that's a good one. From the land of bees, the Reverend uh, Tyler Peel, an old friend, a wonderful pastor, uh, serving where our uh, last Zoom guest, Noah Bader, once served at another Prince of Peace in Salt Lake City. Why don't you go ahead, Tyler, and say hello? Hello. Excellent. I'm impressed that Mike knew about the Beehive State. Yeah, yeah, I know that. The uh, Mike remembers things. I've learned that. <laughs> I've learned that about him. And Tyler, you've been serving in Salt Lake City for how long now? About six years. Okay, and before that, served in the uh, the well-known uh, metropolis of Stanton, Nebraska. Right. Where you were the, Ten years there. the bishop of Stanton. Mm-hmm. Official town pastor, it's probably fair to say, huh? Certainly the best Wells pastor in town. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we're happy to have you join us. Um, we are part of the 1517 Podcasting Network. You can go to 1517.org and find all sorts of good stuff, um, not just podcasts, but free academy courses, uh, daily blog articles and devotions. Uh, Michael and I both had one this week 
Um, Jason should have one coming up pretty soon. And uh, you can also get books. Michael's book you can pre-order on any given Sunday or his old book on vocation. And I've got a few over there too. They're, They're not as good as Michael's. But I like to think they have words in them and they say things. <laughs> the, uh, we will be then, as I, I mentioned, continuing with the anthropology can, series. Can we promo one other thing? It depends. Is it appropriate? I hope so. Okay. We're, our YouTube videos? That's what I was just segueing to. Oh, well then. <laughs> that, no, that's go. good. All right. Yeah, let's, so let's here we're doing our, YouTube our anthropology series we're continuing. And, and the podcast is lovely for being able to have extended conversations on stuff. But we also have been making YouTube videos, shorter videos, uh, eight to, I think our longest was 15 minutes, on different words to know. Uh, Michael and I just yesterday recorded one on uh, what is a sacrament. And the sacraments, we've done a number of words. encourage you to go to the Let the Bird Fly YouTube channel. You can subscribe there. You'll get notifications when new videos come out. Um, and... Uh, We've enjoyed doing that. We're hopefully going to get a little bit better at that. Mm. We have a plan even. Michael is going to be working on the studio. We're going to redesign this place and uh, be able to do some of the studios in here. Um, also, with the podcast, if you haven't on your favorite podcatcher, um, subscribe. Get the downloads. When the episodes come out, that's a big help to us. Rate, review. We're active on Twitter and Facebook. You can share our stuff there. I um, encourage you to do so, and we greatly appreciate it. You can also email us uh, if you have suggestions or questions or comments. Uh, Michael, what's our email address? Um, Wade.Johnston. Don't give that one. No, no. that's <laughs> podcast at Let the Bird Fly, right? Um, you can go to LetTheBirdFly.com and find out easily there how to contact us. Um, we will then be making our way into our discussion of anthropology, picking up with a little bit of Genesis 5 and then Genesis 6. We thank Tyler Peel for joining us. Is this your second or third time, Tyler, joining us? I think I've been here at least twice. Okay, so we're going to say maybe this, three times. This is the th- this is the third time we're going to say. We might be wrong, but we're going to go ahead and say it. And so, Michael, as we make our way to that main topic, why don't you go ahead and give us our disclaimer? This show doesn't speak for our churches, our church bodies, or our employers. To be honest, much of the time, it probably doesn't speak for us. We will be thinking out loud a lot, so approach what you hear with a healthy skepticism. Because, well, as a responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost everything. If you find yourself getting too worked up, tune out, look around, and realize you were just listening to a podcast. That's right, a podcast. So go live free, friends, and don't let us get in the way. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered his son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. 
Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Um, and I will spare you all, reading further um, from this, the word of the Lord, as I will slaughter the names. Um, but what comes next is the list of the generations. Uh, what would be the line of the Savior? Maybe if we take this first part here from Genesis chapter 5 then, why don't we start with, it opens with, this is the book of the generations of Adam. Why, I'll throw it to you guys, because I don't know. What do I know? I don't know. Why would Moses uh, feel it important in a text, a book like Genesis, to include this account of these generations? <clears throat> well, I think when we look at genealogies, of course, we're warned to... Uh, not think of these as necessarily always fathers, sons, grandsons, great-grandsons. Uh, there, there may be things missing, right? In fact, uh, it's almost poetical, like the numbers and how they're divided. Um, and so it's not a, this is not a Western way of doing genealogies when we're very concerned about genetics and concerned about this kind of, kind of thing. We're, we're very... We're very good at um, listing things and um, recording things. In the ancient world, uh, listing stuff like this served a different purpose. And so what is the purpose? Uh, I think, first of all, that it's real history, right? So if you read other um, accounts of uh, like creation myths from other places, um, it doesn't read like this actually happened. Rather, it reads like, this is our uh, originator story that gives a sense of belonging. Um, and, and there actually is often very beautiful things in there. Um, not necessarily beautiful as in like, oh, that's nice. In fact, it often ends up being very violent. But beautiful in the sense that there's, there's some poetry here. It says something about mankind that sometimes is not always that like, inaccurate. right? It's, it's a... Think of it as a fable that that is speaking about a truth that's different than um, trying to say this happened, then this happened, then this happened in a chronological order. So when we read Genesis, and really I, I would say all of Scripture, I think there's a fair balance there that it's speaking about the truth, the historical truth, um, but not in a dry history book way. There's a lot of poetry. There's a lot of imagery there. It, Maybe you could go so far as to say it balances and you have the best of both worlds. So I think it's trying to say time elapsed, real time, real people who really died, right? Who really died. And there was a begetting of people in the natural way of doing things instead of saying there was this, uh, there was this God who came down to earth and spilling out of his stomach came the children of am that's right? awesome too though you know right and uh but it's it's not intended to say this actually happened and I, i'm alluding to other origin myths yeah. and remind me before we get to chapter six i want us to end our discussion of five and maybe we won't get to six maybe we'll get more to five than we think um with the discussion of that refrain of and he died and he died and he died uh jason or tyler any thoughts you have on these recording of the generations uh, how would you explain why Moses is doing this, if people asked. Yeah, it's almost like the opposite of chapter one or two, huh? With the, it was good, and now the bell's like tolling, and he died, he died. I was thinking that after you get this monumental 
statement in verse 3. Now Adam fathered a child, and it's not in God's image, in his own image. Then this is going to be the story until kingdom come. All creation is wrapped up here. They're begetting children, given in marriage, eating, drinking, um, and they die. And some walk with with God and some don't, um, save for the one um, breaking in of God into creation in Christ. Otherwise, the whole story is kind of there by Genesis 5. Yeah, and I think that's an, an excellent point. Yeah, maybe um, you want to talk about they died and died right now. That that tolling of the bell is pretty powerful yeah. imagery. I, I think if we start with the image part, the likeness, that will be helpful um, because that's why they're dying now is they're in Adam's image and likeness. And uh, I, I hate to bring him into this, but Lutherans did have a big debate um, about human nature. Uh, <laughs> An original sin, and there was a man, a very great man, who maybe spoke uh, a little hyperbolically, um, Matthias Flatius Illyricus, or as we say in Wisconsin, Flacius. Um, and uh, part of what he was trying to defend is what we see here in Genesis 5, is that while we've talked about a lot so far that man, Adam and Eve are in the image of God and the husk still remains, we can speak of being in the image of God and we can speak about it through faith being renewed in the image of God. And make, Mike made a very important point early on that this does not mean that the unbeliever has less value or worth or dignity than the believer. Um, the unbeliever is also still made in the image of God, although that's affected by sin. But we are at the same time, too, uh, in the image of man. Now, uh, Flatius goes a little far and says this is the, the image of the devil, imago diabali. Uh but he's after something here, a transition that, that Moses is noting is that human beings are now made, um, they're created um, and come into a world uh, through their father and mother and are thus, uh, with God's blessing, of course, the procreative command is still what makes life possible, but they're then born into sin. We have a, a fallen nature. St. Augustine would point us to passages like this regarding original sin. And so um, we can only beget what we are, which is why we had in John 3 recently, which uh, we all heard in church or preached on, where Jesus says you must be born again. You must be born from above. You must be born of water and the Spirit. And so maybe um, Tyler brings up well, not maybe, he does bring up a very good point as we're going to get into six and see just the total depravity into which the human race has fallen, uh, that that's unpacking what it means to be in this image or likeness. And I don't want to get too flation here, hmm. um, but part of what our Lutheran confessions had to say is that we do need to realize this isn't just like chalk on our sleeve that we can wipe off. Um, this isn't something that's... Um, you know, just tangential to being a human being. But sin is now part of who we are in a very real way, right? Theologically, um, sin is uh, inescapable if you are a human being, unless you are, of course, born of a virgin um, with a heavenly father. And so this would be a good place uh, for Lutherans, right, if you're trying to understand what is original sin to look to, 
Um, but for non-Lutherans who are trying to understand why Lutherans make such a big deal out of original sin, right? And Erasmus says of Luther, he makes much too much a big deal out of original sin. Evangelicals would say that of Lutherans because we, uh, we say you can't make a decision for Christ precisely because of this. Um, I think that is that is very worthwhile and maybe good to unpack with the he died refrain that then comes. Uh, Jason, I'll go ahead and throw it to you. We haven't let you talk yet. Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> it is one of those things that's a striking thing that, you know, this, that Seth is now described differently than Adam and Eve were described. So, I mean, this idea of image, um, something has something has changed, right? So not, not to say that there aren't this connection to image of God, but that, that there are some of these things that still remain, but, you know, again, something big has changed. And I think that's kind of what, what you're saying. And, and um, Moses wouldn't describe it that way. The Spirit wouldn't describe it that way if that, if that weren't the case. Um, and then I think, you know, that's the case right from the jump too, right? That, that Seth right away um, is brought forth in the image of Adam, right? Ad, that Adam brings him forth in his own image right from the start, which, which again is that, you know, now passed on from generation to generation. Um, and the sad, you know, some have, some have pointed to, you know, this, this really being the saddest chapter in the Bible because of that, the, you see the implications of that passed on from generation to generation through the, the centuries, through the, you know, millennia, um, that sin is passed on and the result of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. And, and yeah, it, it's like, uh, I think Mike, you referenced the bell, the, the, the tolling of the bell for each one, right? That was uh, Tyler. That was good insight. Oh yeah. You know that, um, sorry, Tyler, I should have, should have uh, given you that one, but, uh, the, but yeah, the bell, um, you know, that, that doesn't change, right? Um, from one to the next to the next, and it just keeps ringing um, until the trumpet sounds, right? You know, so, and one, one maybe just, you know, I, I think a uh, point of interest type of thing, you know, that whole idea of the, you know, the written account or the, the account of the generations or those type of things. One thing to note um, when you see that, because that, that phrase kind of pops up a couple of different times, about 10 different times through Genesis. That's like Moses' own internal um, separation, right? The, his internal organizations of sections. Um, so you can kind of just file that away as just a, oh, this is Moses kind of wrapping up or starting a new section. Start, the the story's going to shift now just a little bit. You know what this chapter really could be? I was thinking, now that we're talking about the death and the bell tolling, this could almost be an Ash Wednesday hymn. Mm. If you could set each person, make it a verse to a nice melody, depressing, and then, and he died. Yeah, yeah. And, and he died. That'd be a... Yeah. That'd be We've a, got Enoch in one of those hymns, remember? In the way that Enoch tried. Yep, yep, yep. yep. Why don't um, we, we hit on two here while we're in here, and maybe we can uh, move on to chapter six after this. Uh, but it will talk about... Um, or Michael talked about how Moses here isn't necessarily saying these are sons of fathers always, but this is within a line. Uh, that Moses is is doing history, right? He's saying this is how these things played out, how they, they came to pass. 
And this is in contrast to much of the mythology of the area that people would have encountered. But even there, historians have kind of pushed back at the notion that, that people didn't necessarily believe these myths were true, right? They didn't, they didn't have to be true to function, but there were many who would have taken them as such. But uh, maybe just to, to hit a little bit on that of, from an apologetic standpoint, if we can kind of throw it to, to Michael, how this is indicative of what the scriptures do as, as a whole, um, that even here at the beginning, uh, the scriptures are very clear about rooting things, about grounding things, mooring things in a way uh, that makes it hard just to grab something and run with it, right? You have to be acting counter to the text to just take this and say, see, this is just a, this is just a story that means this, and now I'm going to go have fun. Uh, anything that maybe comes up in class sure. or you would say to someone in that regard, and we don't have to get lost on that, yeah, like this uh, many hundred years. Right. Um, so to, to your comment about did people believe the myths or not, well, sure. But when we approach texts like this, we, we, our primary concern is dates, times, places. That's how we think as modern people. That's not the primary concern. It's, so it's not so much, it's even a, Western question to ask, well, did they believe it to be true or not? That's not a question they would ask, right? Um, it's, it serves a purpose, right? And it may, may even be that truth is a secondary sort of, sort of notion, right? Uh, or it's mixed up into that, right? So I do like to make a, the point that like Christianity is very unique by saying, uh, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, the whole thing falls apart, this is not true of other religions, and I'm not criticizing other religions here necessarily. I'm just saying it's not their thing. Right. It doesn't really matter if you know exactly who the Buddha was or if those sayings all came from the Buddha himself or if he was fat or if he was skinny. He was probably skinny. Maybe um, he was skinny fat. Yeah, you know, who knows? <laughs> you know, he's pretty skinny, but he, he jiggles a little. Yeah, um, so <laughs> th that's not the point. That is not the point. In our Western religions, think Islam, Judaism, Christianity, it's more of a deal, especially for Christianity. So when we look at these uh, ancient texts, we have to understand the context. Moses is writing in contrast to the context he is in, right? So he, for instance, makes a big, makes a big deal that God thought his creation was good, counterbalancing the idea that the creation was bad or that the image of God is the human beings and not a sculpture. And I think this is, uh, helps with that to say these are not mythological creatures that may or may not existed, but that's not the point. But they lived, and because they were created in the image of man and Adam now, that they are, gonna, they are going to die. Now, there's going to be the Nephilim, <laughs> short order, right? The men of renown. And so it's not like there isn't this, uh, this uh, living in the ancient world where you, you have some things that are fantastical compared to, to us. Or that right? have been taken fantastically right. today, because there are ways to take that too. That sure, and, and, uh, but just like, you know, you get to Goliath, and like nine feet tall, are you kidding me? Well, we actually have archaeological evidence of people that big. Uh, why don't we have people that big right now? Well, the same reason you don't draft a center first in the NBA 
because the knees are going to go. These people don't yeah. last. This is this right. is an phenomenal. Yeah. And, and and I think people are drinking almond and oak milk. Yeah, and that just <laughs> so th- there are there are <laughs> things that would have been that that, that die out yeah. in a certain way yep. just from the genetic pool kind of thing, right? That that sort of thing. So and that's why I I mentioned this 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 does read like a creation account. Yep. that has great symbolism and has and says something poetically about humanity but it's different than the uh, origin accounts of the same time period and later that are are definitely going to be like okay really this every everything grew out of the stomach of a cow right, right. that kind of thing yeah and i think in i wasn't disagreeing with you just to be clear too michael i think it's important to note that that those myths, a lot of people would have surely believed them, but you didn't have to take them literally for them no. to function. Wasn't their point, yeah. right? And here, I would, I would again say, someone might struggle with a six-day, twenty-four-hour creation. I would not let them off the hook um, regarding what Genesis has to say about them and God in that respect. Um, so I, 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 I do want to be careful with that because I think sometimes we do that when we make Genesis primarily about a creation evolution debate, but at the same time. Moses is clearly writing this in a way that indicates he does not want it to function like other mythologies that can be just kind of dismissed as truth, but still be like wholesome life lessons like you might get from a Marvel movie. Hmm. There's a reason that Marvel has Thor and not Jesus, Hmm. Um, you know, fighting. Uh, Connected to that too, and and then we can switch, but Mike and I have both taught world religions, and so this is in my head, and I'll see if he thinks I'm off on this. When we look at the other, um, when we look at many other origin stories, mythologies, it's often pretty evident that they're trying to uh, serve and undergird societal structure. And we'll get to this when we get to the Nephilim eventually, too, who could have just been Lugals or warlords, right? But it's pretty easy to look at it and say, yep, this is, this is there to justify how that society is structured <clears throat> and to um, support the role of the warlord or the priestly caste, the literate caste, whatever it might be. I think what we're seeing in Genesis is that there's no attempt to do that uh, that comes to mind as we see things here. If anything... Moses is undermining power claims, right? We're seeing them abused. And I think maybe that is a helpful thing for Christians um, to keep in mind as well because sometimes the accusation made about Christianity or religion in general is it's just to keep the masses in line, right? It's the opium of the people, um, as a Marxist might say. And and Genesis, Genesis is not really doing that here. In, in fact, a lot of the people it's talking about never really get to be in charge in like a, a good way, in stable mm-hmm. way. Right. Uh, anything else you guys have with chapter five before we move on to six? I just note that this is like the second pod- podcast in a row where you've worked the word Lugal in, into the into the. I really like this as it, as pertains to the Nephilim. I really yeah. do think it's interesting. Yeah. I, I just think, Tyler, how often do you use the word Lugal? I don't know that word. <laughs> I, 
I was gonna say that this is this is an unfamiliar word. It's not not one that gets used a whole lot. I'm just uh, I'm just saying. But you've you got two. You got thank you. running total of. And two I'm using now. it broadly. I think it's normally used yeah. specifically for the Sumerians, but I'm yeah. just for a warlord. Um, Michael, do you have an update on the Michigan game score? Um, they hit a three um, going into halftime to take a three point lead against Rutgers. Okay, and I not, hope they beat not, Rutgers because Rutgers would not change their schedule to play state after the. Uh, active shooter. Was it Rutgers? I thought it was somebody else. No, it was Rutgers. And so I, I thought it was Minnesota. No. For the mitten. For the I mitten. hope you guys take it to them. Thanks. We should get shirts that say, for the mitten. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we'll have a little I'm in an ass. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm going to read the beginning part of Chapter 6. We'll discuss. We can come back to Chapter 6 more in another episode, too. But uh, Chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. And I'm always reading from the ESV when I'm reading. So if people are wondering if the translation is different. When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not be able to abide in man forever, for he is flesh, his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. It's interesting to me there, by the way. The sons of man came in, or the sons of God came into the daughters of man rather than knew Yadah like Adam knew mm-hmm. Eve. Um, and they bore children to them. They were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The, law, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And uh, thus far the the word of the Lord, and I, you can punt it if you'd like, Tyler, but you're our guest. I'll throw it to you first for any thoughts you have there on the opening half of uh, chapter 6. Well, I have a lot of thoughts. Um, but I think the the big deal is the Lord saw the wickedness of man, every intention, the thoughts of his heart. Now, what we heard in chapter 5 is playing out in chapter 6. So this is still the effects of people who aren't who haven't found favor in the eyes of the Lord um, because they're not calling on the name of the Lord. Unbelief has just covered the planet and um, so there were the gross sins that we saw back in was chapter 4 but here it's like when in Romans 3 St. Paul just cuts your knees out from underneath you all, everybody is um, in the same boat here. Uh, so this is a passage we'll often use to talk about um, original sin. Maybe it's even more helpful to go back to chapter 5 in my mind and talk about the way that we're born without that perfect image of God. But as you talked about being born in original sin with this bound will. I, it was interesting earlier, Wade, you said maybe Lutherans are accused of playing on that too much. And maybe there are situations where that's the case, but 
as a starting point, I don't think we ever have. I think that if, if you are convinced you're spiritually dead, that's when we have an opportunity to really talk about it. I, I say that just because I am, it's, it's just one of the hardest things in the world for someone who's coming to us, either as an unbeliever as, uh, or out of Mormonism that certainly is about using your free will to its potential or um, maybe an uh, evangelical church down the road through our school or something like that. This is just unfathomable to think that, um, you know, before the Lord, it would all be just uh, dead. Every intention of the heart doesn't just sound like you're saying too much. I mean, certainly there's some good we can hang on to in these people. Yeah, and I, so that's I, what strikes me. I like that, Tyler. And you remind me of something that, that Luther and our confessions talk about. And that's that it's not just that the Word reveals the gospel, which we could never know the gospel apart from the Word, right? This is a great mystery. Uh, but the Word also reveals the depths of our sin, which we could never know apart from the Word. We can get that we have some faults, that we have some struggles, that we have some things that we um, could work on, but that it reveals the very depths of our sin is a very important role um, of preaching as well. And I'll throw it to any of you three, but how? what is the, and, and I think your experience probably, especially with Mormons and evangelicals, but with Americans in general and even American Lutherans, the average American Lutheran, what does this say about the role of preaching uh, and the use of the law um, and let's not get in a third use of the law debate, although maybe sometimes how the third use is preached does assume more will um, than people have even after they come to faith. But the, um, what really is the chief use of the law and, and how, it, how it ought to preach to awaken sinners to their sin? Uh, any thoughts you guys have? When I think of um, chapter 6 um, and... Um, um, the piling up of terms where um, I'm looking for, I can't, why can't I think of the verse, but verse five, the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become that every inclination of the hearts of his heart was only evil all the time. Um, I immediately go to Ephesians chapter two, where Paul piles up words about grace in a similar way, not by works, so that no one can boast, you know, um, Let's make it very, very, very clear. We're going to make these two things very, very clear. I, I, I always think of these two passages together. Notice the piling up of the terms so that there is no debate about it. Every inclination of the heart all the time, right? Not some of the time. Not, uh, you know, he's, he's uh, half good, half bad. Not just on bad days. All the time. He's not I haven't a, had my caffeine. He's not a, he's not a good person mm -hmm. who made bad decisions. He's a bad person who makes only bad decisions, right? Um, and then, you know, when, when we think about this, St. Paul doesn't make sense unless there is total depravity of man. Jesus doesn't make sense unless there's total depravity of man, right? If you're going to talk about And here sinners. we don't mean that in a Calvinistic way, that, that there's, but that total corruption right everything has been corrupted that you need to be complete it's not grace anymore if you do something then christ died for nothing um 
then then the righteous the the righteousness that Adam and Eve uh, were created and born in that original righteousness uh, somehow they you know somehow God was like man I hope they're righteous let's see you know let's see g- give them a few minutes no they were born that way righteousness is always a gift you like Wade to say that uh, the story of the Old Testament is just a series of stories about people trying to help God's promise along. I think uh, part and parcel of that is, or another way to say it, is that from Genesis 3.16 and following, it is mankind's attempt to be righteous on his own. Yep. And he cannot because he, he, he is, and, and, and it's not like it's just Paul and Moses, Jesus says, right, dead trees are dead. He gives a sermon on the mount to expose how, yeah. Dead trees don't produce fruit because you want to know why? They're dead. They need to be made alive, and life is never something you earn. It's always a gift. You can tragically forfeit it, but you cannot get it. Yeah. I wondered too, like in the American context, especially now, you know, the that like true suffering for most people, true want for most people, um, the impact of like true legitimate corruption and you know for most people just isn't there right jason needs Uh, to take the bus with me yeah (laughs) right and you know you may get it's the it's another person's fault it's not my fault right Right. and you know like even the things and 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 it's right and that's the and that's the exact point is that you know there yeah there are some bad things but maybe i haven't really been touched by them and then it's easy for me to play the comparison game because, you know, I'll watch the news uh, or I'll ride the bus or, you know, be confronted with other bad people, but I'm not one of the bad guys. Um, and, and and oftentimes even, you know, I mean, America, you know, we, we're the good guys, right? We, you know, we were the good guys in World War One. We were the good guys in World War Two. We were the good, you know, and you can debate whether whether that was the case always, but the way most people look at it is, you know, hey, I'm the good guy, and when I see, um, I see there are some bad guys, but, you know, that they're relatively few and far between, and I'm not one of them. Yeah, and two things I'll throw in and see if you guys think. I read something interestingly the other, interesting the other day, and it was about how certain American films don't do well in China. And the films that don't do well in China is when there's a clear good and bad. Yep. There's Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader. And so these blockbusters in the West sometimes really languish in China. And the reason was because the Chinese with the yin and the yang um, kind of heritage see both good and bad in individuals and your job is to find the good and the bad in each person. Whereas we like our movies where sometimes the characters... The good guy does some questionable things. But, right, there's the cowboy movies. There's the white hat and the black hat. And it's interesting that that comes out of the West where you would think uh, that Christianity would have, you know, had more influence on that. Uh, But I'm afraid it probably comes out of the West because Christianity did influence it, and Christianity is often not taken original sin very seriously. But then secondly, I I like what you said um, about people not blaming themselves and blaming others. And I 
I'm curious what you guys would think. So if we think in the ancient world, people were kind of left to the capriciousness of the forces of the universe that they couldn't explain. And so you were left to try to like placate those things or not irritate them, which is what a lot of ancient religion tried to do. And so it tried to manipulate, right? To manipulate the gods or goddesses or the forces, the karma, you name it. We, um, we've moved, uh, and then you, you have the Stoics or others where it's, that's fate. You can't control fate, but you can control the things where you do have freedom. We now get to our day, and maybe um, the gods and goddesses and fate have been replaced with systems. And so we, we view everything as sy systemic. And then we try to do the same thing. What do you try to do? Because systems are outside of me. I'm part of one, but it's outside of me. We try to manipulate it. Mm -hmm. And that will fix things, and that will win me favor, and that will help me succeed or at least not fail as bad as I otherwise um, would. And... Uh, and, and we, we do all of that uh, for the same reason, perhaps, whether it be, um, you know, ancient Near East religion, whether it be the Stoics with fate, um, who are not going to manip manipulate so much but resign themselves, which is an equally unchristian approach um, in ways, in some ways. Uh, but then with systems is that we don't, we recognize, or we, uh, Dave, I think it's David Brock, he has a really good book on like, um, monks in the, I think it's the, the fourth century. It's like Peter Brown type time and how they would externalize the demons so they could try to address their sin and their evil, right? They'd put it outside of them. And it's interesting to me then that we tend to externalize sin or the bad things. We put it outside of us, but then what's the temptation with salvation is to internalize it, to put that <laughs> inside of us. Oh. Um, which is why the evangelicals will say, you know, God has chosen this spouse for me, this job, this car, but then they're going to choose salvation, right? Uh, so they're going to choose in things above but not below. And uh, and maybe that is just, if we're talking what the Old Testament and the Bible likes to talk about, one of the big things is to reverse that. It wants us to internalize sin and externalize salvation. Um, and maybe that gets to these mighty men of renown, Right? That they're called mighty men of renown, but they're this in in wickedness, right? Because these things get flipped. But I said a lot there, and we've got about um, six minutes or so. I'm going to be quiet now and let you guys talk. You can react to that or go where you want to go as we wrap it up. Well, I would say, I mean, what all of you guys are describing is just this human self-promotion, self-preservation project right whether it's looking for something outside of me or inside of me um you which has to be there if you're going to define yourself if you're going to not be defined by the creator and then you protect the good stuff because that's your measure of worth i see it play out um in the lds church like crazy um it's just look good on the outside we're you know, it even plays out in, in plastic surgery, one of the plastic surgery capitals of the world, because um, this is something I control and make it look right. And that's, you know, it's nothing different than the Pinea Legas playing out in different ways, except that it's 
exhausting and sometimes people are despairing but a lot of times they're bitter uh, when they have to do that so I'll, it, you you started with this question what about the preaching of the law um, the the great relief of it is when you actually are bound right when this gets to the very bottom of it to say and that's all there would ever be but uh, but but this garbage that could never prevail before God because as the line goes right if you start in freedom then it's always on you but if if the law is actually preached and you realize you're dead toast on your own then you have a chance for um, the kind of freedom you guys like to talk about because it's not on you anymore that's a great insight. Start with freedom, and then uh, then it's all on you. I never thought about it that way. It's good stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm stealing that from somebody smarter than me. I don't know. <laughs> That's all right. What do you got, Jason? I was just thinking the you know that I mean if you want to touch on the Nephilim just a little bit more you know that idea of um, as great as their um, deeds are and and we've talked about this a little bit with chapter four and some of that the potential for accomplishment and, and incredible things in this world and yet you know the it would seem that the roots of that word are in the in the word fallen right or that that they're in the word fall which you know that at least from the perspective of God and the you know those who are in God uh, that as great as their accomplishments are they're still ultimately fallen yeah. and uh, as our Masoret for the day Tyler, uh, is he right in that assessment of the Hebrew? Yeah, of course he is. If you, I don't know if you ever read about the Nephilim, but it's so great. Anybody you read says, there are like three or four options of what the Nephilim could be. And then they'll list them. And then they'll always say, whatever the fourth one is, obviously this is the only possibility that could actually make any sense. And they're always a different one. <laughs> yeah. 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 There's a variety of opinion out there on these for sure. And, uh, and, and I mean, yeah, you can, you can have a lot of fun with it because, uh, and people have through the years, and you know others have taken it and ran uh, and run with those ideas. But but certainly in the context, you know, it does seem to be you know this contrast between believers and unbelievers primarily, and they're called heroes, right? The heroes of old. So also, yeah. I picture all of them looking like Andre the Giant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or the was it the Julius Hefthor Bjornsson or whatever that that big Scandinavian guy, man, he's, he's a monster. Those guys, you watch the documentaries, they like live in pain their whole life from these diseases that make the body too big, yeah. but they're also bad to the bone. Yeah. Yeah. They definitely. Yep. Well, are you done? Wait, you got anything more to say? No, I said I was done talking. So I had myself muted. I said, you guys could wrap it up. So. All right. All right. Well, first of all, we would like to thank, uh, Wade, just for being our fearless leader um, well, and you. setting things up. It's his, it's his podcast, and we just live in this world, and we appreciate That's right. it. It's such That's a really privilege. nice. Yeah. And uh, thanks for Jason. for, for uh, Jason, you got your uh, camera there? Yeah. Can you get Maybe. a picture of me, Mike, and Tyler sure. so I can remember him saying yeah. a nice thing yeah, about right. me? Yeah, right. You bet. And uh, we're, we're very happy to have uh, Here we go. Uh, the good Reverend Tyler Peel uh, on. Uh, always got good wisdom. Always good uh, to hear his voice. Um, and us four, you know what we're about? Yeah. We are about freedom, but not starting in that freedom. We start um, needing help, 
more than help. We need salvation, and we're so happy to have the freedom uh, that is given to us in Jesus Christ, and that's what we need to preach and what we need to give. So, friends, go let the bird fly. Hey, Tyler, I'm going I'm to talk over the music while we close, but I got a job for you today, okay? You got a busy day? Yes. Your, your task is I want to convert three Mormons for us. All right. So our, our listeners, if you're listening, feel free to ask in the comments after this is released um, if Tyler got his, his three Mormons. That's a fair number, right? Seems holy number. All right. <laughs> Get me down.